Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Surface. I'm Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I love the power of story, the power of journey. I'm a curious guy, and I love learning from those who have experienced both success and some failure along the way. What I'm most interested in is how they interpret both their successes and failures, how they see the world, how they see their experiences, and how they've developed their mindset to handle those experiences. We are all a compilation of the stories that we hear and the stories that we tell ourselves. So as you listen, it's important to think about how these themes and these stories relate to your story. I created this podcast because I love learning from experts of craft, and I really do try to find experts in a wide range of fields, actors, athletes, CEOs, anyone that really considers himself to be a performer, I try to invite onto this podcast. And today's guest certainly checks those boxes. Davey Arnault is somebody that I've gotten to know over the past couple of years through my work with DC United. Davey played in the MLS, Major League Soccer, for 14 years. He's now a coach with the Houston Dynamo in Major League Soccer. Davey's a really interesting guy, and he has an amazing story. As you'll find out in his story, nothing was given to Davey. He faced adversity, whether it was family dynamics, getting overlooked when he was in high school, or, or facing injury. His path was not the typical path to get to where he wanted to go, although he always seemed to know exactly where he wanted to go. I use a phrase with my clients all the time, which you're probably familiar with, which is there's more, more than one way to eat a Reese's. And Davey's story is certainly a different story and a different path than many others that are in Major League Soccer. Davey's an open-minded guy who would do whatever it took to have an advantage over, the, over his opponent. He's constantly trying to get better, both as a coach and certainly he was as a player. He has the right mix of humble preparation and confident performance. He's also not the same guy once he steps onto that field. And he knew exactly what kind of mindset he needed to develop in order to compete, survive, and eventually thrive in Major League Soccer. So I'm excited to bring Davey Arnault to you guys as we go beyond the surface with him. I hope you go beyond the surface with yourself as well. So Davey, why don't you start? Tell me about your upbringing. What was life like? I know you grew up in Texas. So tell me about growing up in in Texas. Um, It was... Uh, fairly normal um, until I was about 10 years old. I grew up in a uh, small town about an hour east of Houston. Um, no brothers and sisters. I was an only child. Um, <clears throat> lived with my mom and dad and uh, until about 10 years old and my mom remarried uh, and I ended up moving to uh, to England, to a, the small town in England. Um, so I would say my, you know, my life as a, a kid was fairly normal until about 10 years old. And then it became pretty, pretty unique. So parents get divorced or what, what, happened, what yeah, happened there? Yeah. Parents got divorced when I was, I want to say eight or nine years old. Um, and then my mom ended up, you know, remarrying uh, a guy from England who was actually, uh, in our town doing a, doing a soccer camp that I had gone to when I was a kid. So that's, that's how they met. Um, so yeah. And, 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 and they kind of got together and about a year after they married, we ended up moving over, uh, to England to, uh, where he lived. And as an eight or nine year old, what is divorce like for you? Did you understand it? Did you, were you in the middle of it? Like, what was it like, especially being an only child? Yeah. I mean, I remember parts of it. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, even being that age, I can remember thinking this, you know, this isn't normal or this isn't good. Um, 
at certain moments. And, you know, I still have certain memories of, of that age of, you know, some not so great things, but, you know, you know, a lot of, I feel like a lot of kids go through that. I mean, the only difference maybe being I was an only child. So, uh, uh, I realized something wasn't quite normal at the time. Um, but, uh, I, I wasn't the only kid that had, that had gone through that. I, I had another friend who had gone through something similar around the same age. You had mentioned, uh, your, uh, stepfather was yeah. a soccer coach. When did you start playing soccer? And cause eight or nine, it sounds like you probably started pretty early. Yeah, I started early. I started playing when I was probably four or five years old and it wasn't, you know, at that time where I lived, um, soccer wasn't, uh, wasn't a big sport. It was, it was football and basketball and baseball and that's what you played. And, you know, I played the other sports. I love the other sports. And I, you know, I, I guess my parents let me play because it was another sport to play. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I started when I was probably four or five years old was when I first started playing on a team. Was dad an athlete, mom an athlete? What, what caused that? Yeah, both of them. So my dad played, uh, my dad played basketball and he played baseball. Uh, and then he, you know, as he got older, he, he played some, uh, fast pitch softball. And then my mom was an athlete as well. She played, uh, softball. She played, um, <clears throat> uh, volleyball. Uh, so they were, they were both athletes. My, a lot of my, uh, family were golfers on my dad's side. So it, you know, sports were in our family. So that's, that's just what I did from an early age. So you moved to England as a 10 year old and yeah. what was that like for you in that transition? That was a, that was a completely new world. You know, it was something that, that I had never experienced before. And I think, um, you know, I think it was good that it was around that age because I think that I was still at the age where, um, you're not completely set in your ways and, um, you're kind of open to doing stuff like that. Or I was at the time. I, I remember I was being, I was, I remember being pretty excited about being able to go and do something different. It wasn't like I was worried about it or, uh, you know, I was sad to be leaving family and friends, but it was, it was still exciting to me. And I, I wonder if maybe it, it had been three or four years later, if that I'd been, would have had a little more resistance to the idea of moving. But at the time, um, it wasn't, it was something completely new. And, you know, when I first got over there, it was, I loved at that time, even I loved playing soccer. So it was, I had an immediate connection with, with people in school because that's what all the kids did. I mean, you played soccer and I think without, without that, I think it might've been tougher for me, but I had uh, an immediate connection with a lot of kids because there was this, you know, American kid coming in and they saw that I could play what was their game and, and it helped me make friends right away. Yeah. It's amazing. You go from Texas, which you said, everyone's pretty much focused on, I'll just, I'll just say football, but football and other yeah. sports. Yes. And then you go to England where like it, it's, it's helpful that you can use your feet, uh, to acclimate yeah. and, and use those feet to make friends. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think sports, that's, it's a great, it's such a great thing in soccer, especially it's a, it's a universal language. And, you know, I didn't, uh, maybe I was lucky at the time that that is what I love to do. But when I, you know, maybe in Southeast Texas, that wasn't like the normal thing to love. And I don't get me wrong. I loved baseball. I played baseball when I was young and that was hard for me to leave baseball because I love playing baseball. But when I got over there, you know, they had cricket, which was something similar. I could catch a ball. I could throw a ball. So I got to play that as well. So, um, but certainly the soccer thing going over there and realizing that, okay, it's, it's, it's cool to, 
to be able to play soccer and to like soccer. And, and I had that, like I said, that immediate, that immediate connection. So how long were you over in England for? And, and just walk me through that, that part of your life. So I was over in England for six years. Um, <clears throat> I played, uh, you know, with local, local teams and, um, uh, you know, guys I went to school with. And then when I was about, I want to say I was thir- maybe 12 or 13 years old. Um, uh, there was a guy came up to me after one of our games and my parents, you know, a lot of parents, the difference with sports over there, parents don't generally travel to their kids games and go watch a bunch. They do here and there, but it's not as much as it's not as much of the culture as it is here in our country where you're at every one of your kids games. So, uh, my parents, my mom and my stepdad weren't at my game and a guy come up to me after a game. Um, and he said, Hey, I'm going to a scout for uh, one of the professional teams, one of the lower division teams, are your parents here? And I said, no. Uh, so he said, uh, well, let me follow you to your house. So I don't remember if I rode in the car with him to my house, which it would, is kind of, you know, maybe you wouldn't do that now, but I think that's maybe what I did. So he took me to my house and went in and said, Hey, I'm a scout for this team. We'd, why doesn't your kid come out? We'd love to have him come out and practice, uh, a few nights a week. And that's how I got started in, uh, you know, the world of soccer there. And I, I, I went and I, I practiced a few times, with that team and it ended up not really working out. Um, and then at about 14, I went to another team called Peterborough United, um, which they were about an hour and a half away from me, uh, from where I lived. So what I would end up doing is I would, uh, I would go get driven by the, another kid from my sort of town. His dad would take us to practice there once or twice a week. And then on the weekends I would uh, get done with school on a Friday I would uh, get on a train by myself and take the train to Peterborough, and I'd be there until Sunday night. Uh, we'd stay in the locker rooms of the of the at the stadium. Uh, we'd play games on a Saturday, uh, and then I'd come home after that. So that's kind of what I did up until you know between fourteen, fifteen, right around that age. That's amazing. So you really get thrown into the world of soccer and get these amazing experiences with soccer. Was dad back home? Like, were you still in touch with dad? Did you have to travel for holidays or anything like that? Or how did that dynamic work out? Yeah. So we were, you know, we were still in touch. We talked and, um, uh, he, uh, I would travel back. Uh, I would actually spend every summer back in Texas. So, uh, I would probably spend six weeks at a time back in Texas, seeing old friends and, uh, being with my dad, um, I came, I want to say I came over maybe for one or two Christmases early, but it was main, mainly just in the summers when I would come back. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, I don't know. You, when you look back on it now, it seems like a long time to go without seeing a parent. Um, but that, that was, that was my, that was my world and that was my life. And, and even while I lived there, uh, my mom and stepdad, um, were living in France for, uh, about four months of the year, uh, for their business, for their work. So I actually ended up, I wouldn't go with them. I would actually end up staying with a friend's family or another family would kind of take me in for three or four months. So, you know, I wasn't around family really at all for three or four months a year. I would go and visit them every, you know, month or so, but you know, not seeing my dad for a year, I guess seemed normal because I wasn't seeing my mom and stepdad for like a four month window all the time either. So that was just my life. So I'd imagine you developed some independence and grew up maybe some maturity at a, at a younger age, just self-sufficient. Would you say that those things helped shape 
your ability to be self-sufficient, independent, mature, professional, whatever you want to call it? No doubt. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, at times it would seem, it would seem tough for, you know, my, my stepdad and my mom, they made me get a, you know, I had to, I had to do a paper route every morning. I would get up before school and, uh, you know, cold freezing in England have to get up and go do a paper out at six o'clock in the morning before I went to school to earn no money. But, you know, it taught me responsibility. It taught me work ethic and living by myself. I had to be independent. I had to learn how to, um, how to function at times. I had to learn at how to leave school on a Friday and go to the train station and get a train ticket and make my way to the, you know, another city at 14, 15 years old. Um, which looking back on it, it's not, it's not completely normal, but I have no doubt that those experiences, they shaped who I am now. And, um, uh, I, I wonder sometimes if I hadn't moved, if I would be, you know, in the position I am today. And I, I don't know, you want to think you would, but you know, I had a lot of uh, experiences that developed my character and, and my work ethic and my drive that I have now, um, when I moved. Well, when you combine, there's, there's three elements of performance for a soccer player, right? There's the physical, like our fitness, there's the mental, our mindset, and then there is, um, the technical and, and, and the mechanics and the skills. And you had a blend of the technical with, you know, probably some of the best soccer players that you can find at that age in the right country. Uh, there's very yeah. few countries like England that are going to, that you're going to be surrounded by people that are technically skilled, uh, yeah. like that with the mentality of being independent, uh, and learning how to do things for yourself and learning how to, uh, provide and, um, you know, fight and, and do things and, and, develop and learning how to, and learning how to fail and fail really and learning how to fail because I did that. I mean, ultimately that's what I did. I, you know, with the team that I was on, the way that the system works in England, um, at 16 years old, you're either offered a contract or you're not, it was called a YTS, a youth training scheme. Uh, and I was small and, um, they told me they didn't think I would play professional soccer. So, you know, Hey, they said to me actually, you know, but you're a good kid. You know, you want to think about getting into coaching and you can stay in the game longer. And I was 16 years old. I mean, that's pretty devastating. I mean, I remember the conversation and, you know, it taught me all of those other things, but it also taught me how to fail and not accept failing or accept what other people thought my path would be and, and kind of forging my own path. And I you, learned that from an early age. How did you respond? What was like the immediate response when they're basically like, this isn't for you. Think about coaching. What was like uh, the response? He, I remember the conversation. I remember him telling me that. And I rem- remember thinking in my head like this, this can't be right. I'm 16 years old. Like this, this doesn't make sense to me. And it, you know, it's easy at that age when someone tells you to get in the mindset of, is he right? And at the time I hadn't developed, I hadn't grown, you know, there was all these things and, and it was devastating. So for a few hours, I remember being on the train, leaving that city for the last time you would go past the stadium. And I saw it and I was in tears. You know what I mean? Like I thought that was like the end of my dream. Um, but then I realized, you know, I kind of decided, you know, it's not, I want to keep this thing going. And, and, and I had a choice at that point, um, to stay in England and, you know, continue with my school. And that was going to kind of be the end of me playing soccer because that's the way that it works there. Or I could come back to the U S go to high school, 
play on my high school team, see if I can get into college. And then, you know, after that, see what, what, what happened. But my mindset was, I don't want to be done at 16. I at least want to go play in college. And I knew that was an option in the U S so a couple of things that hit home to me, number one, the gifts of crappy things. So first crappy thing happens, parents get divorced, no eight year old, nine year old wants that to happen. Yet, as you said, it sort of turned out to be a blessing because you moved to the soccer country of the world and yeah. maybe develop more as a soccer player uh, and also yeah. develop this independence. Number two crappy thing that happens to you is this coach basically says, eh, this isn't for you. And maybe if he hadn't have done that, you would have stayed on the same trajectory and maybe been a little more complacent or maybe not had a fire in you. Maybe you get to the age of 18 and you're not good enough to play over there. And then maybe right. you're, you're lost or we don't know exactly what the story would be. But at that right. moment where he looks like the biggest jackass from your perspective <laughs> to be telling yeah. a 16-year-old kid maybe he should think about doing something else, it's actually yeah. the best gift that he could have given you at that age. As you said, he gave you the gift of failure and gave yeah. you the gift of sit, looking in the mirror and saying, is this something I really want? And if it is, what are my options? And oh, one of my yeah. options, because my dad is back in the States, is I can go back there and pursue you know, maybe playing in college. So I, I find those those crossroads so interesting because as parents, we often want to keep our kids from experiencing those things. And I think many parents try to shelter their kids from experiencing those failures. And the reality is that those failures, you remember so vividly what that was like crying, being on the train, seeing the stadium. It's so yeah. vivid. It stuck with you. It was a moment that had amazing stickiness and that helped shape not only your decision then and there, but I'm, I'm imagining that that also impacted you as you went forward in your career. So it's no, amazing. no doubt. And, and one thing that always, you know, drove me as a player, it was the wanting to succeed, but it was, I had a, I had a serious fear of having the feeling that I felt when I was 16 years old. I had a fear of having that feeling again. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be 25 and, you know, saying, ah, oh, okay, it's been good, but this is all, this is all you're going to be. And you're not going to play anymore. That was a serious fear I had. So my, my drive in a lot of ways was not wanting to have that feeling again, which so, if I hadn't had that experience, I, <laughs> I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had that feeling. That's amazing. And that's why failure is valuable. It's not that we should just fail all the time. It's failure is valuable because we feel it. We feel, feel it in our mind. We feel it in our soul. We feel it in our body. And then there's a desire that, you know what? I just don't want that feeling again. And we will yeah. fight like hell to not make that happen. So that's where the fear of failure can be useful because it's like, no, I don't want that to happen again. And because of that, it actually frees us up to be more fearless because yeah. we fear failure and that's why we train and we put the work in and we watch film. And then when we get on the field, uh, there's nothing that's going to be that bad. I've been through that before. I can handle it, but I'm going to fight sure. like hell to make sure that that doesn't happen. And we'll get to your professional career, but I got to see it up close and personal when you went to DC United and you had that balance of like, even as a vet, even as someone who was established of, you know what? I am going to play like it's like tomorrow could be my last day. Uh, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, but then I'm also going to be open-minded when someone like me would come in and, and talk to the team, you would be the one in the front row, taking it all in, absorbing it because I'm sure there's still this fear that I haven't arrived or I'm not set or I'm not solidified. So I love that dynamic and that dichotomy. And Oh, by the way, what a lesson to learn at 16. Like a lot of people don't learn that lesson until they're 36. 
Um, so yeah. it's, it's an amazing thing. So take me to Texas. So now you spend six years in England. I don't know if you develop yeah. an accent when you're over there, but you go back to Texas. Do you still have friends that you were, that you grew up with or what's that transition back to football? Uh, you know, I mean, Texas is in the United States. Texas no, is Texas. <laughs> it is. And especially in Southeast Texas where I live. So I was, I mean, I was in the heart of high school football country. And that, I mean, that's what everybody lived and died by. And yeah, I mean, going over at 10. So now coming back, I'm now the English kid that is now coming back to Texas. You know, had a little bit of an accent, like at 10 years old, it's hard not to develop that. And so I still had friends. I still had people that I knew who I'd played soccer with when I would come back in the summers who I would stay with. But, you know, it was like I was the new kid again at 16 years old, even though I was coming back home and, and the accent didn't help. Were you able to socially uh, make, make friends? Were you able to reconnect? Like, or did you struggle in that department? No, I was, I mean, luckily my personality has always been, I've, I've, I've found it, I don't want to say I found it easy to, you know, be good socially with people, but I, it's just, I, I, I'm comfortable in, in new surroundings and new settings. And it was the same thing when I was young. And, um, you know, I had, again, the sports thing is another immediate way to connect with people. So even, you know, I had friends, one of my best friends growing up and I played soccer with, and he played, I played soccer with him on the, on the high school team, but he was a football player. And so I had him as a friend, but I became very close then with kids on the high school soccer team. And, you know, once you got to one practice, you, it, it was another immediate connection uh, to those kids and to those guys who I'm still friends with to this day. When you were in England, were you, were you good or were you surrounded by people that were a lot better than you? What were you on the pecking order as far as talent goes? Oh, I was, I was, I mean, I was good. Like in my school, I was good. There was nobody else that was doing what I was doing. So I was, you know, I was a kind of a big fish in a small pond of my school or my little area. Um, but then, you know, it, it's the same thing as the academy structure here in, in DC, for example, you know, you can be good in your little town or your high school, but then you come into the academy setting. Now you're getting the best of the kids within two or three hours. Now, it's a little different. Um, and then when so you, was, and then when you move to, te- and then when you move to Texas, I'm assuming you're also, you know, you get there and you're excelling in, in high school in the States. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was one of, you know, I was the better player on the high school team, but then again, you know, there's these big clubs in Houston and, um, there's good players around, but I still, you know, I was still excelling in, in, in that area of the city, but I never, I played with the local team. I didn't play for the big club teams in Houston who, when you went to state tryouts, those were the kids that made the state team. And I was not one of those kids that made the state team because I wasn't on a big club team. Um, High school soccer at that time, that was my big thing. That was my opportunity. I didn't play on a big club. So walk me through high school and and into college. Um, So we, uh, you know, uh, Nederland high school, we actually had a good, we actually had a good soccer team. Um, which you wouldn't think, but, uh, you know, we did well. And, uh, my senior year, we, uh, went to the state championship and beat some Houston teams and it was a really great experience. Um, but actually my senior year in high school, our, our high school coach, he wanted me to go play college soccer and I wanted to, and he randomly, I don't, don't ask me why he called, but he called, uh, university of South Carolina, um, they had Josh Wolf, Clint Mathis, guys like that at the time that were a little older than me. So that maybe that's why he called that school. But, um, 
to let them know that I was a, a player that they should look at. So the coach there actually reached out to somebody in the Houston, Houston area who had seen me play. And this guy said, yeah, this kid's worth coming to look at. So, um, actually the assistant coach from South Carolina, um, <laughs> another failure, he came down to, uh, to watch a game and, uh, I knew he was coming. And so for him to come from South Carolina to Nederland, Texas, to watch a high school soccer game, you know, there was real interest there. And we played, um, we were playing a big rivalry game and 10 minutes into the game, I fractured a bone, uh, fractured my leg. So I couldn't play. And I remember that too, like being on the bench, I was in tears. You know, this guy had come from South Carolina. It was like my big chance. And now I'm not even playing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but luckily, and so that never worked out. I actually went to my high school coach's house after the game, the coach from South Carolina came uh, we watched some video that my high school coach had of me scoring some goals. And he said, look, we're, we're really interested. I'm sorry you couldn't play. Uh, but I've talked to some people here that say you can play and we'll keep in touch. And we kept in touch, but it kind of faded away because I, you know, I'd been hurt. And at the very end of the season, um, or it was the season before, um, a guy had come to watch somebody else in a high school game. And it was a division two coach, uh, from West Texas A&M, the assistant coach at that school. And so I didn't really have any other options. And he called and said, Hey, we'd love to, you to come up on a recruiting trip. And I went up and, uh, that was sort of my only option was to go play division two soccer at West Texas A&M. So what a yo-yo experience that is. Like you're looking at SEC school, you know, South Carolina, and you have a coach coming to see you and traveling all the way. And now, now you're staying in state, but not going to, you know, UT or Baylor yeah. or Texas A&M yeah. or any of those. Now yeah. it's, you're playing division two soccer. So what's yeah. that like for you as a 18 year old kid who tends to think like, I can, I can play some soccer. What, how do you interpret that? Um, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't, I don't know why I didn't feel like it, but I was obviously disappointed with the South Carolina thing. I'd sent, I remember I'd sent a letter to SMU. Um, I want to say I sent a tape too. And I remember getting a letter back from them saying, Hey, thanks, but this is a top level program. And we only really accept, you know, it's like they didn't even look at it. And I don't know why it didn't, it was just, it was almost like the norm to me. I was like, okay, well, what's next? What's next? Uh, and what was next for me was West Texas. So it wasn't, it wasn't like I went there, um, angry that South Carolina had worked out. I just said, okay, that didn't work out. Now I'm here. Now what, what, what can I do here? And I don't know why I thought like that. That was just my mindset. I wish I could go back and say, you know, why did you think like that? But that's just how I thought. So you were just like, this is what's next. And this is what's in front of me. Let's just tackle it. You weren't one to like try to call every school and try to knock down every door. You're like, you know what? If they don't want me, that makes sense. That's un- I understand that somebody else wants me. I'm going to go yeah. there and let's make the most of it. That was sort of the approach. Absolutely. And, um, again, you know, like, like what happened with me moving and what happened with, uh, me being let go in England when I was 16, I often wonder if I had, if I hadn't got hurt and I ended up going to South Carolina, would I still be on the same path as that I've been on? You know, uh, would I have gone there and not played and then, play, you know, I, it's just so many things when I think about it that has led me to the point I'm at now. Uh, I wonder if going to West Texas A&M, it probably was the best thing for me. I, nobody knew who I was. It was another kind of underdog situation. Um, uh, but I had a great experience and, and one that, um, that I wonder sometimes if it happened for a reason. Do you 
do you like being an underdog? Absolutely. I think I've always, uh, you know, um, performed the best in that situation. Uh, kind of being the guy that isn't supposed to succeed or the team that's not supposed to succeed. Um, don't get me wrong. I like being, it's good to be the favorite. It means you're doing something right. And I've been on teams and, you know, as my career went on, I was supposed to be the guy that was performing. I wasn't really the underdog anymore. So, uh, but I think initially when you're trying to find your way or when I was trying to find my way, it developed my character big time in a way that it wouldn't have developed if I was the main man, because I see a lot of people now, I see a lot of young players that are told how good they are from an early age and how great they are and how they can do no wrong. And they can, you know, if they fail, it's not their fault. It's somebody else's fault or it's somebody else has a bad opinion of them. It's not because you're not good. I wouldn't have developed the same way if I didn't have, if I wasn't the underdog when I was young, I, 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 I firmly believe that. So you utilize this chip on your shoulder in a way that says when somebody tells you this doesn't work out, I like what you said, what's next? Um, yeah. Like, and if you go back to everything, it's like, all right, parents get divorced, what's next? Okay, we're going to England. Okay, that's what's next. Uh, 16 years old, you get told you're not good enough to play. All right, well, what's next? Um, you don't, South Carolina doesn't work out. All right, well, what's next? I think that's such an awesome way to look at it because a lot of people would say, why me? Or they would look outward and say, you know, it's just, I'm a lucky or F that person or screw them or, you know, whatever it might be, but you were just always looking for the next opportunity. So walk me through your college career. What was it like playing at that level and just paint the picture of what that experience was like for you? My college career was a great experience. And I got Butch Lawfer, who's the head coach at West Texas has been there a long time. He, you know, he's a me being in that environment, that was the first time that even though I was in England, you know, with coaches and stuff, that was the first time at 18 years old that I had actually, that I felt like somebody was teaching me the game, the way the game was supposed to be played. Um, you know, I had a good high school coach, but it was different. It was the first time that someone had said, look, you're playing in this position. This is your responsibility. Think about this. What about this? Which, you know, is a little bit old, to be learning that kind of stuff. Um, but, but the experience and being able to, to play in that environment with that coach, um, on that team and getting to play from the first day I was there from the start of my freshman year. I think the first game was my, of my freshman year was my only game. I didn't start when I was there. So I got to play a lot too. It was, it was a great experience. It really was. So you finish up that experience. Do you have some accolades to show for it at that level? Were you, how successful were you? Yeah, I was good. And we, you know, my sophomore year, we uh, lost in the elite eight, my junior year, we lost in the elite eight to the same team, uh, two years in a row, which was tough. But, uh, my junior year, I actually got a first team all American. Um, so that was a, an accolade, a personal accolade that I, that I received. And then, um, after my junior year, uh, I had, um, my assistant coach actually who had come to see me in the high school game who, who recruited me, uh, he had played for Bob Gansler in college. who was the head coach in Kansas city at the time. Um, and he asked Bob Gansler if I could go, uh, before our spring season after my junior year. So in January, I think it was to come up and train with Kansas city for a week, uh, at the start of their camp. So, uh, myself and another roommate from, or another teammate from college, we went up to train for a week and, uh, went up for the week and 
that was it. Uh, after, after that week, uh, uh, coach pulled me into the office and uh, I thought he was just bringing me in to say, you know, thanks for coming. Good job. Um, and he said, Hey, Davey, I just found out you're only a junior, but, uh, there's these new things the league's hand, uh, giving is called developmental contracts. It's to young college kids, um, uh, to have a chance, uh, to play. So they were extending the roster from 18 to 22. So they were going to have four developmental contracts. And he said, uh, you know, if you're interested, we'd love to give you one of those contracts. And I was like blown away. And, uh, he said, uh, I don't want you to tell me now. I want you to take a little bit of time to think about it. There was no thinking for me. I didn't want to tell him that, but he said, go, uh, talk to your parents and um, see what they think because I was going to have to leave school with no guarantee of anything. Um, if it didn't work out after a year, my scholarship was gone. My eligibility was gone. My uh, degree was gone. I was going to have to go and get that for myself. Um, but for me, it was a, it was a no brainer. Uh, I walked out of that office and, and I knew that I was going to be, I was going to be taking that for sure. Were your college coaches supportive of that decision? Because you're you're not coming back after being an All American, and you know I'm sure they're looking at you as a leader and coming back as a senior. What was their reaction? I think my my head coach was obviously disappointed. He he was disappointed. I I, I had a ton of respect for him, and him the same for me. But he was excited for me. I think once he got past the initial disappointment of me not being there, he understood um, that. So that, that wasn't was the last. It, it was the last time they send guys up for. Uh, yeah exactly that, and that's what he said he was he was he was pissed off at our assistant for sending me to go for a week to practice but uh but no he he was very understanding and supportive and somebody who i who i still talk to fairly uh fairly regularly so you take this leap of faith you, you move to kansas city uh walk me through what transpires after that yeah, so I went back to college, grabbed all my stuff, loaded it up in my all banged up Ford Taurus, and uh, headed to Kansas City. And um, that was a whirlwind. Uh, I, I'm all of a sudden at one moment I'm you know a Division two soccer player in Canyon, Texas, and two weeks later I'm on a preseason trip to Argentina uh, in a room with Tony Miola. You know that's that's my roommate uh it was it was pretty crazy when you think about it um and i'm i'm playing games against you know river plate in river stadium in argentina it was like it was pretty crazy and actually i was i was playing well um things were going well and uh about two weeks into our preseason uh uh one of my teammates it was a pretty bad tackle and i rolled my ankle pretty bad so i ended up being out for like four weeks um uh, I came back, uh, and David, it was a time, out, time out. So you get one of those four developmental spots. I'm yes. assuming that those spots are, are really there for training purposes and to try to work guys in, but, or do you work your way into the, into the starting lineup? How does that all work? No, I didn't. So those four developmental spots were basically for, because the rosters at the time were 18. So kids coming out of college, you had to be on an 18 man roster, that was tough. So basically those contracts were for young guys to have a year or two to develop, to see if they could then, uh, contribute to the team. So I had a year and I, by no means, and my, the coach at the time, he was not about playing young guys. You had to earn everything that you got. Um, fantastic coach. 
Um, but you had to earn your way in. And I, I mean, I worked all year. I would, I would come in and train every single day and there was no games. There was no reserve league. I wasn't playing in games. I wasn't traveling with the team. Sometimes I remember, I remember sometimes being like the only guy left behind and I would have to go do stuff by myself. I would have to go run by myself. Um, were the other guys that you were with that were part of those developmental, were they doing the same stuff you were? Or did you feel like you were doing extra? No, they would do the same stuff. I mean, I felt like I would do a, a little extra, but you know, like for example, if we had off, one of the guys lived fairly close. He might, he might go home if the team went out of town for the weekend and I would stay by myself or he might travel with the team. If the defender was out, and needed another number, he might travel. And not that I didn't travel. I did travel at times, but there was some times where I would be there by myself and, um, just doing a little bit of extra work because, Again, when I trained, I, I had this fear of not being able to do what I was doing the next year. That was my number one goal was to what, what can I do? Even if I'm not playing, what can I do to assure that I'm going to have another opportunity next year? My sole focus was that. You know, I've interviewed people that are out in Hollywood that are trying to pursue acting or some career on TV. And both the people I interviewed out there said, when you move to Hollywood, there better not be a plan B. Like you, you have to make it because there are so many people trying to do what you're trying to do. And if you yeah. think like there's another option, you're screwed. So did you have yeah. that? It's like, this is it. I, I left school. There is no plan B at that point. Is that what your mindset is? 100%. And that's the way from that year, from the first day, it was the way that I was until my 14th year. I didn't want to have anything else on my mind. That was my sole purpose. And obviously your goals change as you go further along, but my, I didn't have another option. I mean, it's not that I, if I wanted a plan B, there was no plan B. And maybe if I'd have sat down and thought about something, I, but that would have taken me out of the mindset of this is what I'm going to do. And I really believe maybe to a fault, I believed that I was going to make it work and I, I was hard headed or stubborn. I don't know what it was, but um, I had a chip on my shoulder and I said, it doesn't matter that all these other kids have come from these big schools and who this player is or who that player is. I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to, to make this thing work because there wasn't another option. My other option would have been if it doesn't work out, maybe to go home and work in the refinery like everybody else does back home. But that I didn't want that to be my life. What was your mindset when you stepped on the field for a game? How did you look at yourself? Did you use any tools to get yourself ready to perform? I don't know. That's tough. Um, I think, uh, to be honest, the first time that I actually um, thought about my preparation or my mindset before a game, it always came very naturally to me. Um, I knew I was going to compete. I didn't know if I was going to be good or bad on the day. But I knew there was something that I was going to do every single time I went out on the field. I was going to compete, and I was going to be tough to play against. People were not going to enjoy playing against me, and that was my mindset. But it wasn't until we talked when I got to D.C. and we sat down, and you know, you made me write down uh, when I told you I, was, I would struggle a little bit with confidence at times, which hurt the way that I played. Um, you asked me to write down the things that when I'm playing at my best, what am I doing? What is my mindset? And, you know, I think I remember writing four or five things down on a piece of paper. 
And you told me to keep it in my locker. So I kept that thing in my locker all year and I would read it every time before I went out to play. And it really, it really helped me, especially as I was getting older and you're not, things aren't, you're maybe a little, you're not as quick. You can maybe not get away with certain things that you could get away with before, um, which in turn can hurt your confidence and what you think you can do. Um, that was an important tool for me to remember that I'm doing what I do for a reason. And when I'm at, when I'm at my best, this is what I'm doing as a reminder. Yeah. I think all athletes can get into a place where they forget what they do well. And they often start getting their mind cluttered because it's focused on all the things that they can't do. So if it's an older guy, I can't move like I used to. If it's a younger guy, man, I used to be faster than everybody when I was in college. You know, if yeah. it's someone in the prime of their career, maybe it's like, oh, I have to play on the national team or it might be something else that's cluttering the mind. But usually we're at our best when we're thinking about what do I do when I'm at my best and playing toward those strengths. And for you, a strength was I'm going to be hard to play against and I'm going to be real. I'm just going to work my ass. I'm going to outwork guys when I get on the field. And I think because of your background, you felt like you probably had to do that every single game. Whereas maybe a kid who grew up in an academy situation uh, or at 16 or 17 or 18 or 19 years old is now playing professionally. Like you said earlier, they're already told, no, you're, you've got all that. You don't necessarily have to do that. The yeah. curse of being gifted, the curse of being gifted is that it often doesn't bring out our best habits because we can get away with certain things. And you had to develop habits from the very beginning at Kansas City knowing like this is not guaranteed and tomorrow I could easily be sent back to Texas and be working uh, in a refinery. Like there is a strong desire or we're going to use the word fear. There's a fear of not letting that happen. Uh, and then that fear can, can drive you and can do amazing things. What yeah. did you, what did you improve at over your career? What were the elements that you think you got better at? Because here comes this kid who's a division two soccer player who uh, is not really playing much his first year to developing a, you know, you mentioned 14 years in the MLS. What do you think the things are that you did really well that allowed you to sustain success? And for those that don't know, 14 years in soccer is a long time. I mean, um, there are a lot of, not a lot of guys play that long. uh, And you probably could have played longer, you know, if we're being honest. So what, uh, what, what areas do you think you improved on from that first time you got to Kansas City to the time uh, you, you retired? Well, I improved as a player. Technically, I improved as a player. I developed a better understanding of how to play the game. Um, you know, I wasn't in an elite environment from an early age. Um, but the reason that I was able to develop those tools as a player and grow as a player within the game and understanding what certain moments require in a game was because I had a foundation of the work and the determination and the commitment and all of that stuff at a really, at a really high level. And I took pride in that. And, you know, some people think there's a lot of people have an idea in their mind that if you work hard, that he's just a hard worker and he's not talented. It's like, it's like the two can't go hand in hand for some reason, which I've never understood. No, for me, that was, that was my foundation. That was my foundation that I could build from. And because I had that and coaches that I played for understood what they were going to get from me, I could then develop the other areas of my game, which I, you know, I improved as a player. I was, I improved as a player. I was still learning and improving 
when I stopped, there were still things I was being told and, and, and I was changing my game, my game in a way to, to get better. Even when I stopped playing at, at 35 years old, um, but the, the foundation of the work and, and, and all that other stuff was always there. That never wavered. You hit on something that's worth mentioning, which is people think that grit and talent uh, are opposite. And the reality is that you can be really talented and really gritty. Um, yeah. they, they are not antonyms. Uh, yes. A woman who studies grit, her name is Angela Duckworth. She's at University of Pennsylvania. They asked her, like, who's a gritty athlete that you've really seen? And she, she mentioned Stephen Curry. And like, I think we think of like grit as being this like blue collar chiseled guy who's just like this, that, and the other. But here's Steph, the son of an NBA basketball player, by the way. So economically he grew up well off. Um, but his story, if you listen to his story, it's all about grit. It's also about, it's all about persevering and challenging and getting better and improving. And I know at DC, uh, we talk a lot about grit and we, we own grit. And I think one of the mistakes that people think is like, oh, they're gritty, so that means they're not talented. And A, if you play professional sports, you're talented. Uh, let's start yeah. there. And then B, no, name a, a superstar in their sport, uh, you know, Messi. Like there's an element of grit that needs to come with uh, that. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I think like Zidane is a guy who, who had amazing grit. Uh, and, and I'll probably stop there with my soccer expertise, but you could look at every <laughs> sport and yeah. a lot of the elite Athletes, whether it's Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, Tiger in his prime, uh, Roger Federer, they're all gritty dudes. So I love what you said because I sure. think there's a misconception that a lot of high school kids especially think is like, well, if I'm really talented, I'm not going to work hard. Nike had a T-shirt that said lazy but talented. And I walked into a high school gym once and a basketball player is wearing that T-shirt to practice. It said lazy but talented. I walk up to the kid. I go, Andrew, uh, what's up with that shirt? He goes, oh, I just got it from a friend. I go, well, when coach walks in the, in the gym and he sees you're wearing lazy but talented, what do you think he's going to think? He's like, oh, I didn't exactly. think about it. But then it hit me when I was in high school. Those were the cool kids. The cool kids yeah. were the ones that didn't have to work hard and got an A on a test, that didn't have right. to work hard and could drop 40 in a basketball game. Lazy right. but talented was cool. But the real yeah. world, the real world fires lazy but talented. It just Absolutely. flat out fires it. So I love Absolutely. that you have this foundation of hard work. But also as you started to get accolades or become a starter or become a captain, that's still the foundation. That doesn't go yeah. away. You never become yeah. complacent with that. You just yeah. add to that foundation and keep moving forward. For sure. Yeah. And, and the, you see, but you do see a lot of kids, you see a ton of talented kids that don't have that grit and that determination and that work ethic. And it doesn't work. Like you said, in the real world, it, unfortunately it does not work. And you see too many, too many talented kids that don't, uh, that don't have careers that they should have because they don't have that foundation. I want to go back to your performance mindset just to understand it because I don't know the stats or the numbers, but you got a lot of penalties. You took a lot of penalties. Um, you were a tough player when you stepped on the field. And do you think that you needed an edge or an anger or an energy or an intensity? What would be the word that you would use? And what would you do to get yourself to that point so that for those 90 minutes you were focused? Well, I would use, I would use all of those words, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know how it works for other people, but I could not be at my best if I wasn't all of those words that you just said um, when I was playing. That's when I performed my best. And um, 
it wasn't, uh, I probably didn't make a ton of friends for people I was playing against. And, but, um, I had, when I went onto the field, I had to become a different person than I was off the field. And I, I know people have said that before, but it's the absolute truth. I couldn't, there was, I couldn't be, I couldn't be friendly. I couldn't not have an edge and play the way that I needed to play. I had to have that in order to survive. I couldn't, I couldn't, there was no toning that down for me because as soon as I toned that down, I maybe wasn't as good in other areas where it would make up for that. I had, I, out of necessity, I had to have that. And I would, I would go toward the word intensity because I think when you stepped on the field, it was, there was an intensity to you. Everything you were doing is going to have an edge, which is interesting because you know, I've played golf with you. I have spent time with you uh, in other areas. And you're, you're, you're not, I wouldn't say laid back, but you are a friendly, warm guy. And I think a lot of people make that mistake in saying, like, I can't shift when I step on that field to perform. And the reality is you can shift to whatever you want to be when you step on that field, as long as it's based in a belief of that's what I need. And that's what I look like when I'm at my best. And I think yeah. a lot of people just say, Oh, I'm just going to be the same person. It's like, no dude, you get to decide who you are on the field. Just like you get to decide how you treat people off the field. Like that's yeah. you, it's your choice. And I think being conscious of what do I need and who do I need to be? Because that's, that's what I'm going to be at my best. Like you said is massive. Well, when, and a lot of times too, it goes back to the, you know, when I'm playing, when I was playing, I wanted my team to win because if my team won, that means now, that means now, uh, I'm more secure in my job. It was a, I don't want to lose my job. I want our team to be successful. And when I'm trained, when I was on the practice field, it was the same way. I'm going to compete because I don't want the next guy to take my job. So a, a lot of times it was maybe, it, when I played that way is because I was fearful of losing my job. I was fearful of not being able to do that anymore. Um, and, and, and that, that drove me. And it, there wasn't, there was not a year that went by that at some point I, I remember being, you know, in Kansas city and I'd been a starter for seven years and the eighth year I was still would come home after a practice and I would talk to my wife and be like, I don't like, I hope I start. And you know, it was, that was always in the back of my mind. I never felt comfortable. And she would say, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. You've started like 200 games in a row or something like you have to calm down a little bit. But that, that fear of not having that was always in the back of my mind. So I'm going to throw something your way, which is that's neuroticism. Like I'm going to be neurotic and I am, you know, I'm going to be paranoid or I'm, you know, I'm going to keep this in my mind that I am not good enough or I'm not secure. And that's what causes you to sit at the front of the room when there's a workshop. That's what causes you to sprint, uh, during fitness stuff. That's what causes you to constantly try to learn new things about the game, watch film. That's neuroticism, right? But when you stepped on that field to compete, you were narcissistic in that moment. You we're no longer this kid from the play division two soccer and, you know, start his career in kids. Now it's like, I'm the shit. I know exactly yeah. what I'm going to do and I know how I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to focus on playing hard and playing smart and being tough to play against. And that crystallizes yeah. for you. But to your point, I don't think that crystallizes unless you have that neuroticism, uh, in training, that neuroticism, uh, in your mind and sort of thinking like, I'm not good enough and I'm not, I need to be better and I'm not secure. That leads to actually, when you step on that field, 
being confident, being secure because you know you went through everything. You circled all the wagons. You dotted all the sure. I's. You crossed all the T's. You went over everything in your mind. So now when it's time to go, let's freaking go. And now yeah. it's I'm, I'm the best soccer player in the world when I step on the field. Now yeah. you're not taking this from me. That's my ball. I'm going to control the ball. I'm going to stop yeah. you. You're not getting by me. Um, there's an element of narcissism that has to be there too for a kid who plays Division II soccer to believe that he can play in the MLS for 14 years. Absolutely. And I, I mean, you, you said it better than I could say it, but that's, I mean, that's how I would feel. And not that you want to, uh, I never wanted to be arrogant or come across that way, but I absolutely on the field believed um, that there was only one person that should have been on the field and one person that was going to win to a fault. Again, maybe I was wrong at times, but I even felt the same way when we were playing Manchester United for Kansas City. That sounds crazy, but when we were on the field, it didn't it didn't matter to me. I had that same I had that same belief. And uh uh I don't know why, but that that's just that's just the way that I operated. And I also, you know, I also when you talk about circling the boxes and, you know, doing everything necessary to know that you deserve to be in the position you're in, um I used to uh, it, you know my off-season workouts, it was another thing that I was super over the top about. And, you know, if we had a certain run to do, I would always, I always felt like that if I didn't cut corners and I did exactly what I was supposed to do when I was supposed to do it, that I was, I was putting money in the bank that I was going to take out later in the games, you know, that I was doing the work and that I deserved to be doing what I was doing because when nobody was looking, I was working the way that I should have been working. Love it. It, it creates a element like that idea of narcissism, like or arrogance or cockiness or whatever you want to call it. Name me a, a great athlete who doesn't have that. You have to have that when you step on the field because if you don't have that, the guy across from you has it and he's going to dribble right by you and, and you're going to be screwed. So you have to yeah. have that. But ideally, it's based in putting money in the bank. It's based on truths rather than fake. It's, it's based yeah. on the hard work. It's based on the sweat. It's based on all of that stuff. And in yeah. some ways, it's based on that fear of, you know, I want to be perfect. Um, so perfectionism is something I hear with all athletes, especially pro and college athletes. Like, I want to be perfect. Yeah, in training, I want to be perfect. But then when I step on the field, if I make a mistake, that's when I'm like, all right, I'm just going to keep balling and keep doing my thing. And that dynamic, yeah. I think a lot of athletes struggle because – they stay in that perfectionism and they stay in that neuroticism or that paranoia when they step on the field and it's live. And, and when you're in that place and it's live, you're screwed because now you're second guessing. Now you're overthinking. Now you're not playing free. Um, that's when yeah. it becomes problematic. So the ability to separate those two to me is everything for the athlete, the mindset for training, the mindset for preparation, the mindset for getting better and improving is different than the mindset I need when competition or we go live. And by the way, you can go live in training and I need that mindset again because that might determine who actually starts and plays. And now we're competing. But all those other times when no one's watching, when no one's looking, those are the times to be per perfect. Those are the times to make sure your craft is exactly what you want it to be. Those are the times to be neurotic. The time when you step on the field and the game starts, that's when we let it all out and we just go play. Gotta be uh, free. Yeah. Absolutely. I have a saying, I say, uh, Prepare like a pro, perform like a kid. Because 10-year-old <laughs> Davy, 10-year-old Davy, when he's in England, is just going and playing. And he's not yeah. worried about his contract or uh, what's yeah. going on at home or the fans or the coach. He's just playing. Uh, but yeah. he's not preparing like the pro. So we want to prepare right. like a pro and play like a kid. All right. The last, I like. thing, the last thing I want to bring 
I want to bring your way is I want to find out just your perspective as a coach. Uh, so last year you take on this role with DC um, and you get to really be almost in this transition period in your life, which a lot of people don't get to experience, which is I just finished playing with a lot of the guys that were on the team that I played with. And now I get to sort of take on this coach role, learn, figure out my role and figure out my spot. Um, so you do that. And now you're in Houston coaching there. So walk me through what you've seen as a coach and what you've learned in the last two years. I've learned a lot. Um, you know, it was, uh, again, I was fortunate to get to kind of make the transition that I did. And DC was last year was a, was a fantastic experience for me. Um, uh, uh, it's interesting when you, as a player and a lot, you, you think and you work in, in a lot of ways that are, that are selfish in a lot of ways. I mean, you're, you're concerned about your work and what you're doing and how you're improving the guy next to you to make you better. You know, even when the thoughts are on the team, it always comes back. It always comes back to you as the individual. It, it really does. And just having to change that mindset of now, how can you help the players to put them in a position for them to su- succeed, for the team to succeed, and it doesn't really involve you. You're just helping. You know, you're a, you're a t- another tool that the players can use to help to improve. And I, what I enjoyed about last year specifically in DC was I, you know, I got to take uh, Ben gave me the role of of the younger guys and kind of the guys who are on the fringes and being sent down to the USL team to get games, and um, I kind of took the the role of watching game film with them and talking to them during training. And, um, because I was in their position, I was a guy who, who, who wasn't playing with the first team. I was a guy who was, was an underdog. And a lot of guys on the fringes of the roster are still underdogs. And a lot of those guys won't play more than a year or two. Um, so I took, I I took a a lot of enjoyment. And for example, Jalen Robinson last year, who's a young guy in DC who, you know, hadn't played a ton just kind of taking him and pulling him aside and, and talking to him and helping him understand, you know, what you're doing, even though you're not seeing immediate results, the work that you're putting in right now is important to your development. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to get the opportunity to play. And he's a guy who, you know, will hopefully for him get a little time this year. And, um, you know, now being in Houston, my role has changed a little bit. I'm working more, you know, with the, with the older guys and, uh, you know, I've kind of moved up the ladder a little bit. Um, but my experience as a player, I think are going to shape in a lot of ways, the way I approach coaching. Awesome. Here's what we're going to do to finish this up. I'm going to do what I call preferences. So what you have to do is you have to pick one of these that you prefer and let's put on your player hat. So, uh, I want you to think about this as, as the soccer player, Davey, rather than coach Davey. Um, not that being a coach is boring or anything, but you have more experience as a player. So I want to get your yeah. perspective as a player. Okay. So okay. as a player, did you prefer preparing or performing? Performing. Were you a yes, sir guy or a why guy? I was a yes, sir guy. Do you prefer a system or autonomy? Hmm. I prefer a system. Cheat and win or lose while being honest? Wow, that's a tough one. There's a line of cheating. There's a certain amount. (laughs) That's a really hard one. Um, Cheat cheat and win, but not, uh, how do I say this? Cheat in small ways. 
not pick up the ball with your hand and throw it in the goal and celebrate like you scored if the ref didn't see it. Cheat in terms of getting an edge and fouling people where you know you could get away with it. Yes. Yeah, we'll interview some of your opponents and find out what they think your answer. They would say they would say cheat and win. (laughs) Perfection or progression? Progression. Most valuable player or most improved player? Most valuable player. Resume or eulogy? Eulogy. Your generation or your parents' generation? My generation. Evaluations or descriptions? Evaluations. Positive feedback or negative feedback? I can't choose one of those. You need both. Culture or talent? Culture. Why? Um, because without, without culture, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. Without a, I look at that in the terms of the team. If you, can, if you have a talented team with no team culture, you're not going to be successful. If you have a team with a good culture and less talent, I'll take that every day of the week. That's the way I look at that one. Momentum or the moment? The moment. Pumped up or calmed down? Pumped up. Grit or grind? Grit. Liked or respected? Respected. Transformational leadership or transactional leadership? Transformational. Love winning or hate losing? Both. I can't answer that one either. Risk taker or rule follower? Risk taker. So I'm curious about that, and I, I thought that's where you were going to go with it, but how does risk taker uh, work with yes, sir? Because yes, sir, you sort of answered right away. Um, yeah. Walk me through risk taking while also being a yes, sir guy. Well, I think the for me being a risk taker, uh, I look at that. I look at that personally. I looked at that as decisions in my life. I looked at it as uh, um, uh, having confidence in myself. Um, rule follower, I looked more in terms of as uh, or a yes sir guy in terms of a coach. How I would respond to a coach and not questioning why, uh, but performing the way that he wants me to and doing what he wants me to because that was my job. Yes, sir. Starter on a losing team or towel waver on a winning team? Starter on a losing team. Balance or specific obsession? Obsession. Fear of failure or fearlessness? Um, fear of failure. Disassociate from pressure or embrace it? Embrace it. Your head or your gut? Your gut. Awesome. Davey, that concludes our conversation on this episode of Beyond the Surface. Davey, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the last couple of years, both as a player and as a coach. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations about all kinds of different things. I'm still going to try to figure out how to swing a golf club like you. Um, <laughs> that's, that might take me a few more years, but I'm going to keep, <laughs> I'm going to take your approach and keep persisting and, and try we'll to get out there and do it again. Uh, and thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you and the team, uh, this year. And I'm sure our paths will cross again real soon. 
Thanks, Brian. I enjoyed it, man. I appreciate it. All right, Davey. Thank you.